Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Look out, it's only films to be buried with. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I am a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a mountaineer, and I love films. As the ex-Prime Minister Tony Blair once said, The art of leadership is saying no, not yes. It is very easy to say yes. But yes, I will have an extra large popcorn with added revels. Thank you. Every week, I invite a special guest over to my house. I tell them they've died. And then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Future guests include Ashling B, Nick Helm, Jade Adams and loads more. And next week, we'll be having the brilliant Jack Whitehall himself. But for episode 12, we have the amazing and the lovely... Mr. Nathaniel Metcalf. But first up, quick admin. Follow me on Twitter at Brett Goldstein and on Instagram on at Mr. Brett Goldstein to keep up to date with all the news and the fact that very, very soon I'll be doing a big live podcast with a big guest. And I'd love to have you there. Also, if you do like this show, please subscribe and give it five stars and a nice review for the simple reason that apparently it helps our numbers and it means more people will get to hear it. I can make more episodes and we can all look out for each other on this wild ride we call listening to podcasts. So, Nathaniel Metcalf, he is a wonderful man and a wonderful comedian. He has his own podcast he does with Nick Helm called Fan Club, which you will love, so you should listen to that. And his Edinburgh show was one of my favourites that I saw and hopefully he'll be doing that in London soon, so keep your eye out for it. We recorded this in May. It was one of the first episodes I recorded. And this is the episode that started the question, troubling boners, worrying wide-ons, fact fans. That's fan club. The usual warnings apply. There's some swearing and we touch lightly on dark issues. So if these things upset you, feel free to skip those bits. There may also be spoilers. So if we mention a film you haven't seen, maybe skip those bits if you want to avoid spoilers. But don't skip all of it or you'll miss out on all the stuff about the meaning of life. One final thing. I got a lovely review on iTunes that said, other than the fact I bang on about Kez every week, it's a great show. Spoiler alert, Kez does come up again in this one, and so does E.T., but I believe we discussed them with new insights, so stop complaining, all right? We were all very traumatised by them. So that is it for now, and I very much hope you enjoy episode 12 of Films to be Buried With. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, 
and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Jean Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. And welcome to Feels to be Buried With, with me, your host, Brett Goldstein. I'm joined today by a very special guest, one of uh, the finest people you'll meet <laughs> wandering around town. Uh, his name is Nathaniel Metcalf. He is a comedian. He is a writer. He works sometimes, although up to now, we're not sh- entirely sure if this will be the case <laughs> when this podcast comes out. Probably not. He works in the coolest comic book shop in London. Can we say that? That's probably fair, yeah, I think that's fair. G-O-S-H, or Gosh, Gosh to Gosh. his friends. And um, he used to run a gig called Tombola of Fun. I did, yeah. Which people across the nation are clamouring to have back. Yeah, it's, it was fun, wasn't it? But it took yeah. up just a Welcome to the show. Hello. <laughs> Sorry, I started. He's here. Hello. Did I say enough in the intro? Oh, yeah, loads. Did I miss anything? No. We also did a spoken word night together. We did in December? That's it, that's, that's all it. the... Tombola of Fun, talk to me about it. It was an idea I wanted to do, like, because it was just when I, about a year or so after I started doing stand-up, but I wanted to do one that was, like, fun and that you could could get people you like on to do it, but it had a sense of, I wanted it to be a bit like The Muppet Show. Yeah, that's how you sold it to me and that's why I signed up Right, day one. I wanted it to be, like, a sort of, that sort of fun thing and feel like it was something a little bit show busy because I think I was finding open mic comedy depressing and I wanted to do <laughs> <But> something. Why? That... <laughs> I like your idea of what if we could do a comedy gig that was fun? <laughs> that was so revolutionary. Subversive. It was. it was subversive at the time. Yeah, but there was what this idea mean? that you'd turn up and no one would have made any effort. Mm. And you'd turn up and they hadn't even bothered putting the chairs out yet in case no one turned up and things. Yeah. And you'd be and then if someone turned up, there'd just be like four people sat around going, Are you audience? And then they'd say <laughs> things like that to people. And depending on whether they go, No, I was looking for the toilets or yeah, yeah I am, they go, I oh, will just sit there because it's probably not happening. <laughs> I and think they'd that, say things like this to people and you go, I mean, this isn't, this isn't how you do it, is it? You remember how you welcome people. I had a gig when I started called Funny How, do you remember? Yes, yeah, yeah. You came and did it. And, um, and sometimes I think, oh, that was maybe the upside of being like English is that it was always a sort of hostage situation because if we didn't have a big audience, sometimes we'd have a big audience, but a lot of times we wouldn't. And maybe two people would show up or four people and they'd say, oh, is this the gig? And I'd know it's just you four. But you'd, because people are polite, you'd, they'd sit down and then you'd go, so if it were just you four, 
<laughs> would you still like us? Because we'd love to. Would you still like us to do the gig? And because people are polite, no one would ever say no. Yeah. <laughs> no, that would be a nightmare for us. But they must think that. Oh, of course they think I, that. I think that's, I think I wouldn't have given them that much. I think you said <laughs> we'd love to do it. I think I would have been like, are you sure? Because if you imagined it. Yeah. yeah. Have you imagined what it might be like? I'd say things like, I won't, I won't pick on you. <laughs> but what it is, is just staring at four people, you know, because yeah. it's a, it is a hostage situation, but people are too polite to go, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. Just fucking making a bunch of six yeah. mentally unwell open mic <laughs> feel better about themselves <laughs> while they but, rant and rave. But it is, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's nice how it, it shows the people in a good light. That the yeah. amount of them that say, "Yeah, okay, yeah, no, I'll one just ever ruin said my no. own evening." Yeah, I'll have a terrible. What night it is is babysitting. It's like <laughs> I'll babysit you for two and a half hours, <laughs> and all your weird mates that you've just met. <laughs> I'm going to close this so you're not blinded. Yeah, good, better. That's much better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, see, that was polite. You see, I didn't want to say <laughs> I, I'm actually my retinas are burning out. <laughs> <laughs> the way that we sat in Nathaniel's eyes were literally a flame. And I thought, oh, he's into me. Uh, and I thought, no, he's burning and he won't say anything. So you, uh, I mean, one thing we have in common, I think, is we love films. Yeah, yeah. And you've been doing a thing, you've been doing a thing this year, which I believe I gave you a, a, a note on, which is you decided, is this correct, to watch a film a day you hadn't seen? No, it's not a film a day. It's more that I just decided... I think it's poor content, but I thought what I'd do is I would list everything I saw because I think I'm interesting. I think and I, I think it would be interesting to go, but I actually watch all kinds of things. Yeah. And I thought it'd be an interest. One, I kind of was quite interested in how many films I watch in a year. Mm-hmm. So I thought if I just put them all on my Twitter feed as I watch them and number them. Yeah. And I'll just have a, I'd have a nice record of things I've seen. I think what I requested on Twitter was, can you at least give us some vague idea of how you felt about it? I think that's these? fair. I think that's <laughs> Instead fair. Instead of just a list. I think it's quite, I don't know. I like the idea that some people enjoy it. It's the kind of thing I would enjoy someone else doing. Yeah. So I'd put myself in their shoes. Yeah. But it's entirely, you know, like every, like all social media, it's, it's inherently selfish, isn't it? <laughs> how much, uh, so hang on, we're recording this in May? May. So so you started this January 1st? January 1st. How many films have you watched? So far, yeah. I've watched, I think, 53. Oh. And that doesn't seem like a lot. I feel like, like I've, lot. I feel like I've, I've done poorly. So I've been very busy. <laughs> well, I guess that speaks highly of your life. Yeah, I mean, but there's also, I'm not really, I've gotten out of the habit of watching TV. Right. So I'd much rather watch a film than watch TV. Great. And I thought that would up the number. I'd like to be one of those people. It, would I? Would I like to be one of those people <laughs> say, I've watched hundreds of films? Because that would suggest you've done absolutely nothing in your life. I don't know if I'm entirely curious enough about the world. Unless I'm it's quite, on a screen. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe that's, maybe this is a problem. Okay. Maybe this is a, I actually, I feel like this is, this is too much already. I don't know. I feel like I've, <laughs> you feel too much. Yeah. I've, I don't know. I'm not, I feel like I want to have that thing where you go, when I hear people talk about travelling, yeah. I go, that sounds good. I'm not, I'm sure. And I get the idea that I kind of, hmm, yeah, I could see why that would be good. Yeah. But I think probably what I'm picturing is a film of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that'd be a nice thing to watch. Yeah. 
I'm quite bad like that. I'm very. Uh, I'm. Quite, Are you I'm like when you hear people tra- like they've done some really huge travel around India? Do you sort of think, yeah, but I've seen Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> yeah. I've done my bit. Yeah. Here, yeah, I think. I mean, it's worrying. I think it sounds. It probably sounds a bit Brexity, doesn't it? As well. But I'm just quite like I feel like I'm. I like the other places. I like that. You know, and I'm come this way. Come this way. Bring it to you. Bring, bring you don't want to me. go to Bring me. your culture to right. me. Okay. Everyone's welcome. Yeah. I'm not going. I'm not going there. <laughs> but if you want to come show yeah. me it here, I see. Yeah, I'm very happy for that. I'm sure mm. I'd enjoy it as well. I think I'm just not motivated enough to be. I don't have. Uh, I don't have wanderlust of what they. Yeah. People talk about. I th- it's a failing. I don't. I'm not proud of myself. Well, it's not a failing if you are content with your current state because if it's if you are then in a way I think you've reached what the Buddhists would call ultimate enlightenment (laughs) because if you're happy with who and where and how you are yeah in the present in this very moment you can't ask for more that is the ultimate that's what people who are traveling are trying to find is what you have yes unless you're miserable which I don't know (laughs) (laughs) well I'm occasionally happy. Right. And occasionally miserable. So in those occasional happy bits where you haven't travelled, you haven't done it. I've absolutely nailed it. I haven't spent a penny. You have reached enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And then you keep forgetting it and going, yeah. who else? So. I think maybe, but also I don't know whether I am actually quite happy, but I go, this doesn't feel like it ought to be enough. Right. So it's more the pressure, yeah. social pressure of other people maybe who've done that. stuff. Maybe it's you that. You go, I should, should be doing stuff, shouldn't I? I'd be yeah. so happy to say it. Yeah. Hmm. But I've only seen 54 films. It suggests I have a richer life outside of that. You've been 54 doesn't wandering seem like... lustily much more than you thought. Have you had any idea? But do you have any idea how many films you watch in a year? It's actually a good... I should start your list. Because it, like, it's that. I don't know if I watch hundreds or... Mm. I'd say on average, I'm watching two to three a week. Are you at home? Are you someone that will... Not at home. I don't watch many at home. Okay. So I, I like to go to the cinema. I'm a I'm a bloody purist. Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, yeah. Do you you I'm, wouldn't be someone that would watch because uh, I'm a sucker for a, a DVD commentary or. Oh yeah, I did. I, um, I, I've done it. Okay. I, I do, listen, if you there is no greater joy on this earth than the director commentary of Outlaw. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but with Nick Love and Daddy Dyer. Yeah, yeah. Probably my favourite bit of art. If I had like the tape museum for a day and was allowed to curate something, I would just have that coming out the speakers. Would you have it just on the speakers, not the film? You'd no, just the it. just the audio and people just wandering around this thing. I that think is because be... you're creating art in your head as well. Yeah, you? you're producing what they're what they're talking about. Yeah, it's funny, isn't he, Danny Dyer. He's had a he's had a real um, he's almost reinvented himself, hasn't he? He's a renaissance man. He is. I love Danny Dyer. I've I'm always not, loved Danny Dyer. Uh, like I think. I think he is the kind of person that there will be like retrospectives of in yeah. the future, and I don't mean that in a, a, a jokey way at all. Nor do I. I think he's he's absolutely someone who is a really interesting person within the world of British film. Yeah, and and I think if you took a, a step back from it, certainly in the future, if you're looking back on now or the recent past, he'd be a real sort of figurehead for for. That kind of world. There'll be a BFI season at some point. I think there should be. I, also, I think you're right. And also, it's, it's very, very, very hard to get a film made. And Danny mm. Dyer has had shitloads of film made. Yeah. And whatever you may think of them, that's really impressive. Yeah. I, I, 
read or saw an interview with him once where he was saying that he, because he was somehow quite bankable, mm. that he often felt this pressure that if someone, he'd get people saying, I'm a young filmmaker, will you be in my film? Right. And he'd often be like, well, I can't be because I can't be everywhere at once. And then it would get to that point where they'd say, would you do it for like a day or an yeah. afternoon? And he had this pressure, and he, he'd always be like, yeah, yeah, well, because he'd had this. And I find that really nice. Because he thing. was basically shouldering the entire yeah. British film industry. And I think there are lots of Danny Dyer films where Danny Dyer probably barely shows up. Yeah. And I saw one called Pimp, I think. Which he was yeah, in. Pimp, yeah. And, uh, and I think he, he, he is only in it for like a, a small section, but it's all... The DVD was all about him. I think right. it was in. I think it was in Edinburgh one year. I think it was like one of the few DVDs whose house we were in owned. So oh, we were like, oh, let's watch Pimp. How many times did you watch Pimp? That Edinburgh? I did think I saw. I think I saw it about three times. It wasn't. It wasn't a great film. No. No. It, it, it was barely a film. Do you think, in the <laughs> retrospective, though, you'll look back at it and go, "It was more." Yeah, when they do, when I go to the Danny Dyer retrospective in in twenty twenty nine, yeah, you'll work. go. Actually, I've misjudged it. Yeah. I was judging it out. Pimp was his AI. Yeah. Oh, I'm afraid I've got sad news. Uh, sad news. You died. You uh, died. Yeah. yeah. How did you die? I'm so sorry. Well, part of me thinks at the minute that maybe we'll all just die or we'll have that, like, I'm slightly worried now that you go, oh, maybe I will end up living in a post-apocalyptic world right. or there might be some kind of nuclear war or something. Um, so you think death by nuclear warhead? Well, that's a worry. Now it just seems quite plausible. I thought I'd yeah. get away with that. It's always in the future, isn't it? Mm. But now I guess we're 2018. So mm. probably in some of the films I would have watched when I was a kid, that was probably about, it is the we're about on time for it. Yeah. So I And I don't know if I fancy my chances as being one of the survivors. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so are you like went? Is it just you bang? You you went in one big? Did you know it was coming? No, I think it would be bad because I think it'd be one of those ones where it will be like the 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 fallout will all happen or the whatever it happens, the disease or something yeah. that wipes us all out. And when there's all the people going around the supermarkets and all getting the cans and things, and yeah. they've got some people have got guns and they're like stay away from the thing. Yeah. I'd be like sure. I don't need I don't need the beans that much. As you die of starvation. I think it probably I think it'd just be useless. Yeah, I don't think I'd I don't think I've got the skills to be to, to survive. survive. Right. That'd be my worry. So how long do you think you'll last after the bomb goes out? Weeks. Weeks. <laughs> Weeks think, is it up? Is it? Yeah. Uh, I mean how long did it take to starve? Uh depends on how much body fat you have. Well probably I don't know, right. I Weeks. It, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think it takes three weeks to for a for a person. I don't know. I've said okay. this like I know, but I always thought it was three days without water, three weeks without food. Yeah, and then you're in trouble. I think I'd be in trouble quite soon. I think I'd be. Do you ever like if you watch a war film? Yeah. I always imagine I'd either be like if there's an explosion. Yeah. In the background, I wouldn't even be the guy that the the hero goes. It wouldn't be like, Nat! I wouldn't even be that guy. I'd be like the explosion, and there'd just be a couple of guys go up, and I always right. think, that'd be me. So you'd be like a bit of splatter yeah. on the hero's face. Yes, yeah. There's a kind of, it sort of knocked him a bit as a bit yeah. of mud. Or and something. then he gets like an echo in his ear. Yeah. yeah. That kind of But then it'd be someone, then it'd be his mate who dies yeah. that he's really upset about. 
So you're very much a background character in this. I feel like I'd be... I, I don't know if I'd be in the wharf. I think that, or I'd survive it, but I'd never really come home. I think I'd be that yeah. guy. I don't, I don't imagine I'd be a war hero in the... <laughs> in the <laughs> like, I'd like to... I don't mean... I'd like, like to be, but I just don't know if... I don't know if I've got it in me. Well, then it sounds like you're a bit sort of like... Uh, Kung Fu like you're just wandering the streets mm-hmm. solving crimes it's a nice way of putting it there's a sort of vet of a disgraced vet I don't know what Kung Fu is about Do you know the film The Right Stuff yes yeah I think I'm not the right stuff <laughs> <laughs> I think if it's like I think me, you're more the TV programme The Yaker. Right Stuff yeah <laughs> uh, yeah I'm more yeah more that The Right Stuff okay. I'm more Matthew Wright than Chuck Yeager you're the Matthew Wright stuff yeah okay so you died weeks after a nuclear bomb went off. Yeah. Where are you from? I don't know where you grew up. Well, I kind of I grew up in London. I grew okay. up in the city. My family are from Cumbria, right? And my dad ran pubs, oh, and wow. he came to London to run a pub in the city. So between three and ten, yeah. I lived in the city of London in a pub. Yeah. What was the pub? It was called the Queen's Arms Pub. Wow. On Queen Street. So you were like a little scallywag running around the pub. Well, we were, yeah, we were in the flat upstairs, but there was a bit of that, doing some bottling. We, was everyone like, you're like, were you, was it like, here he is? To all no, the customers. No, Although, probably a little bit, but not really, not like, right. I think that would, I don't think you'd like that in a pub. A kid running around? Yeah. Here he is. Yeah, I, and that, have a short. Yeah, I think, like I think people wouldn't like kids running around in a pub. Mm. I think it would be, would you enjoy it? Listen. No, but I think you see him. I've seen okay. him. I've seen a kid in a pub. Oh, yeah. Loads of them. Um, well, They're everywhere. Occasionally you see them in pubs doing penny for the guy around, around Guy Fox. <laughs> and then, but then there's that kind of, you're not really allowed, you're not really allowed in here. That's why. I, was it a sort of regulars pub or was it a like... It was quite a regulars pub. pub. It was also, it's funny because I guess I was living in the city mm. at the time of... The 80s. Yeah. And being, so it's probably all, you know, montage of people on big mobile phones yeah. walking across. But I didn't really think of it like that. Although I think there was a lot. I think my dad often says there was that kind of quite horrible thing to go with lots of people with lots of money who were like betting thousands on like the throw of a dart or that kind of. Wow. So I guess it was a really interesting time that I'm slightly too young to remember. Wow. An interesting place at an interesting time. On the other side where you've died, uh, the upside is they like films as well. By the way, the other side, the, the afterlife. Do you believe in the afterlife? Do you think there is one? No, but I quite like the one where God asks you what films you've. Yeah, liked. it's that one. <laughs> he thinks you've wasted your life. It's that one. But they're into it. They're like, well, yeah. okay, let's talk about it. What's the first film you remember seeing, and was it in that pub? No, but it probably would have been around that time. I was taken to see ET, and yeah, it's a big, big one to start yeah. with. And I only saw a bit of it. Because I was terrified of it. Right. And I think I was probably just too young. But as soon as he, as soon as Elliot has a torch and he shines it yeah. in the face of E.T. and he starts screaming, that was it. <laughs> and I still kind of think that is terrifying. Yeah, it's really scary. But I know that having seen it as an adult, people laugh at that. Because it's quite a charming thing, I think, that he's, that he's basically had some torch in his eye. Right. Um, Where so did you see that? Who took you? I think I went with my mum. Yeah. I don't know what cinema it would have been, actually. But I was probably just too young for it. But after that, I'd see stuff all... It felt like I'd see stuff all the time. Yeah, My childhood yeah. is all... 
and my adult world is just all <laughs> films. Right. Like I, I feel, and we used to go to a thing in the Barbican that was like a children's cinema club. Yes. And it was every week in like the morning, you go every Saturday morning and just show like a film. But I think that put me off E.T. for years. I love it now. But I think I had this thing that E.T. wasn't one of those films I watched again and again as a kid. Because I think I had this like, oh, that's a scary film. Yeah. I didn't want to. And I, don't, I didn't see it again until I was about 10. And I realised it wasn't that scary. But I think by then I sort of missed out on the, the sort of magical element of it. And I've got it now as an adult. Right. But it's almost like my, my appreciation of E.T. came when I was an adult, I think. The thing I always think of it now is the bit where you've got the the cut in between E.T. getting drunk yeah, and that's... doing... Whereas I think that is like one of the most life-affirming things. Yeah. I think it's like, that's incredible, that whole bit. I think you could watch that out of context, could you? Yeah, I think you, you could. Just have that. That feels like it's a, it's a real punch-the-air kind of... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, do you have siblings? Yeah, I've got two older brothers. How much older are they? One is five years older and one is eight years older. Oh, wow. So, did, so they weren't at the cinema with you? They probably would have been. They probably would have been. Um, did everyone have to leave because you were scared? I think, I think that's... Because I know that was a thing where I wasn't allowed to see... God, I must have been seeing these really young. Because I remember not being allowed to see Return of the Jedi. Right. So that would have come out when I was like four. So I must have been, yeah, very, it was like, because it would be seen as, you're going to be scared of it. <laughs> so you can't go anywhere. You're going to handle those Ewoks. Yeah. So I remember, and I wonder if that's probably a thing that's made me like films more, that there was an element of it that you're not allowed to see this. Yeah. And those things are always big, big things in my head. The same with Ghostbusters was another one. Oh, you can't watch Ghostbusters. You're going to get scared of Ghostbusters. That's fair. Yeah. And I probably would have been. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I probably saw them again. I saw all those films probably at the Barbican in the next few years, I reckon. Wow. Did you make friends with any of the other kids at this no, cinema? Club? No, no. I remember once... You're not there there was... to socialise it? No, no, I'm not. <laughs> it's not for me. I remember once there was a guy, and he was a guy called John Stiles, who was a guy you'd see on things like Blue Peter, and mm-hmm. he was a professional Punch and Judy man. Right. And he did the Barbican Kids Christmas special thing. Right. And he kind of hosted this film thing at Christmas. And... He was doing paper tearing, good good kids trick. He was tearing, folding up some paper, tearing bits off it, and when he unfolds it, it was like a football player. Right. So it was all different sort of colours, and he had like a football kit on. Right. And he said, "Right, put your hand up, anyone that wants this football player." And I remember going, "Not me, <laughs> not bothered. <laughs> I do not want a little paper football man." That's like, what am I going to do with that? Yeah, you've been in this film crowd. Yeah, I was just thinking, yeah, thinking, yeah. On a Saturday. You would think, you yeah. would think they wouldn't be in a football, these yeah. little kids. But all the kids had their hands up and they were screaming, me, 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 me. And I remember just being like, no, not bothered, not bothered. <laughs> and being quite at odds with it. I had a similar experience last year watching, um, what's the, the one that's The Room? What was that? Uh, the Disaster Artist. The Disaster Artist. Yeah. I've not seen The Room. Right. I think it's not for me. Tried to watch a disaster artist, and it was. I saw it at the Prince Charles, which was mm. a mistake. Right. Everyone was loving it too much, yeah. and I just found myself completely alienated from from the film and the audience. Yeah, 
but they 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 had their hands up and they were screaming for this little paper football thing. And I was like, not bothered. And then he went, listen, you're all you're all got your hands up, you're all screaming. But there's one young lad here who's really polite and he's not made any noise. And he they made me he said, said, Will you come up and get the and he made me come up on stage and get this football man and bow at the and it was this weird like I felt like I'd done a sort of mind trick or something. Yeah. But I had no interest in it. I didn't want to be on stage. I didn't God. want any of this. Didn't want the attention. And I said this horrible thing where I'd be given this paper football that man that no one that I didn't want, but everyone else wanted. Christ, that's such a tragic story. What did you do with the football man? I have no idea. I probably binned it. Or on the, on the way out. No, I wouldn't have done it. No, I wouldn't have done it because I I've got respect for John Styles, the Punch right. and Judy man. But oh, did I give it to someone? It's the kind of thing that my mum would have said. You don't want that. Give it to no, give it okay. to that boy or whatever. It's the kind of thing that might have happened. It's interesting. His uh, he John Styles obviously like is into treating me and keeping keen because he was like, oh, who's this guy who don't like me? I'm going to win him over. That's it. That's it. It probably says a lot about John Styles and his yeah. relationships. So hang on. So did you often see films with your mum? Is it like a family thing? Or did you yeah, start Yeah, mum or my or... dad. Uh, I guess whoever would have drawn the short straw because I guess we were seeing lots of films at that That weren't age, scary. That would be like films that they wouldn't want to see. I think the first film I saw with my dad that he enjoyed yeah. was National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Fucking great. But up until then, it felt like it felt like taking him to the cinema was like an ordeal for him because it'd just be like, what's this? Right. He's, he's quite straight down the line. And I remember him sort of, quite often he'd sleep, which I think was probably quite nice. Yeah. He'd often be asleep during the film. And he'd do a joke where after the credits had finished and the ads, yeah. that's before the film started, He'd get up and go, oh, that's it. The lights have gone down. It was a good dad joke. <laughs> that is a good dad joke. But, and you'd always be, no, no, it's not started yet. Has <laughs> he not? Oh, I've got to, you got to watch a film. But taking my dad to see like Willow or something like that, you, nice. you can imagine it would not be, it's not his cup of tea at all. Right. So seeing lots of films of that era, it would not be a favourite era of my dad's to see stuff. So he'd like a quiet film he can nap in. Yeah, right. yeah. That would probably be his ideal. And if, he, if, if he'd not napped and seen the film, he definitely wouldn't have liked it. <laughs> he, he didn't have any, he wouldn't have had any... So would you leave that? Like, that was amazing. And he'd be like, yeah. oh, fucking, that yeah. was a nightmare. Yeah. Okay. That would be it. You'd have this kind of, I didn't know what was going on. I think he's, I don't think my dad could watch a sort of a fantasy film. Right. Because I think his brain would be like, I don't know why. Yeah. That's not, that wouldn't happen. Right. <laughs> it's just people can't fly. Yeah, they can't. Live under rocks. That, you know, and it, 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 it would be like, that never-ending story was a bit far-fetched. It'd be like that about it. It's not. I was with it up till that yeah. thing flew. Yeah, when he's just a kid reading a book, that's fine. <laughs> Kids read books. I'm into this. Yeah. As soon as... <laughs> as soon as the dwarf turned up on the back of a snail, I was out. <laughs> Actually, out. What is the film that made you cry the most? The film I've seen the most mm-hmm. that is probably... If I was judging it in tears... Yeah. I, would, I would say it's a wonderful life. Okay, but I think one that's another that always gets me and is is the Elephant Man, and I find that tough. Yeah, that's but it. again, it's it's a very rewarding, tough, tough yeah. watch. Elephant Man is amazing. Oh, it's it's terrific. Yeah, that's definitely one of my favourite films. You and me love David Lynch, right? Yeah, yeah, and I like how Lynch till we die. Yeah, yeah. But I like how that's a weird... Because also, I, I really like 
British films and British things. I'm very mm. again. I say I'm very Brexity. I've done it again. <laughs> but you've said everyone's welcome as long as, as long as you don't have to go there. David Lynch, he's welcome. Um, <laughs> I've got it's just going to me keep saying things that sound very. Oh. <laughs> but I like that it's David Lynch doing like a weird sort of gothicy British mm. thing, and the sort of actors he uses are sort of spot on. And uh, what's he called? Freddie Jones. Yeah. He's, yeah, I, I think he's one of those actors that I think I probably first saw in that. And he sort of uses British actors that you don't really see that no one else was using either. Like Freddie Jones, I guess, is quite a big star. But it took me years to see him in another film. And I love him now. If I Who's Freddie Jones? Freddie it? Jones. Is he called Bites? He's the guy oh, who's he's got the, 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 the naughty bad, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got him at the start in the yeah. circus. But he's such a sort of... He's got that kind of... Like, he's got... And now if I see Freddie Jones in a film, I go, this will be good. He's one of my, like, markers for... Like, he's a real proper British character actor. That kind of... He's um, Toby Jones' dad. Is it? Yeah, yeah. No way. Yeah. Wow. But the bit, I think, it's when John Merrick gets off the train at Liverpool Street with the bag on his head and everyone starts attacking him in the... Mm. And it's that, it's that bit followed by the bit where it's just when he kind of knows, he, he has that sort of idea that he's going to die. Or he's been told yeah. and he goes to the opera to see yeah. the show. And yeah. the bit that it is, it's that conversation where Anthony Hopkins is talking to him and he's trying to be quite uplifting and kind of say, oh, you're right. And, it's, and he knows he's going to die. But he does that thing where at the end, Anthony Hopkins goes... Well, well, my friend, he calls mm. him, and then leaves. And then it's just John Merrick by himself starts going, yes, my friend. And then he just keeps repeating, goes, yeah. my friend. Cool. It's all that. And it's that, that idea that he's got this friend. And this is just, yeah. it's, it's just that how the word sort of bubbles around his head. Oh, and he God. just keeps saying it to himself. Oh, my friend. <laughs> and he's just got this idea that he's got a friend. Yeah. And you go, oh, it's, that's the bit. And also, you know this, but for the listeners, in case you don't know, it's fucking Mel Brooks. Yeah, is the man who produced Eraserhead. Yeah, and yeah. Mel Brooks not only wanted to make a film of, I said Eraserhead. I meant the Elephant Man because he went to see Eraserhead at a midnight screening and said, "Let's get him." Yeah, that's amazing. And it's bizarre as well, right? Because I, it, you, it's a leap to go. He's the guy. Yeah, he's the guy to do it. Both of them, it's a leap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, I, I think that's something, what, what he saw in a razor head that would be like, he's the guy I want to make the elephant man. Yeah, he's, in black and white. Yeah. Incredible. But it is, that's, that's one that always, always gets me, I think. Great answer. What is the film that scared you most and was it E.T.? Probably. That's, and that's one that put me off a film for ages. I think as a, maybe because of that, maybe it's all this E.T., maybe I'll go back here. I think I wasn't. I wasn't someone who watched lots of horror films when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and I think my mum and dad would have been quite careful of what I was watching. So I wasn't ever really watching eighteen or fifteen films unless they'd look at the video box and go, "Oh, that one looks fine," okay. but I don't know how they'd judge it. They'd be like a fifth. So it would be like, "Well, that's like a Steve Martin film. That's fine, but not." but not a horror film if that was also a 15 or 18. Right, okay. So they'd have whatever whatever they used to 
distinguish between what was acceptable or unacceptable. So I didn't really see a lot of horror films, but I think that maybe made them sort of slightly illicit or there's something yeah. about it that made me want to see them. So when I was sort of 16 or 17 and I'd be going off to the BFI to see things, I remember going to see Suspiria, right. the Dario Argento film, and the opening 10 minutes of that was about the scariest thing I'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I know it's that thing where what horror is supposed to do, but I think it so rarely actually is scary. But I remember being so terrified of it. Mm-hmm. And... I've seen it lots of times since, and now the mechanics of it make me go, oh, that's what it is. Right. And I find that interesting as well. Like, you go, what is it that scared you? What was it in your analysis? It was something about, like, it sort of creates an atmosphere first, that something really odd is happening. And then there's sort of, there's acts of violence that are done in really matter-of-fact ways that you only see for a second. There's a bit where there's a stabbing, but the stabbing happens very slowly. Right. And so there's all these like weird things that don't... It's almost like they're showing you things that you don't imagine that's how they would be shown. Right. And it just has this odd effect. Like it's, it's much nastier to have someone being stabbed at a very slow way. It's much more horrible. And there was a woman's face being pushed through a pane of glass. And it's all this kind of... There's lots of like violence. But it's the mood it creates at the first bit is this... There's a starts with her at an airport, or there's another girl at an airport, and there's the sound from outside is different depending on when this sliding door is opening and closing. And it's all this stuff, it is just real, it's just a really incredibly well put together sequence that's all kind of sound design. And, and she gets off this airport and it is like a sort of fairy tale. So as soon as she's outside, you're sort of not in reality anymore and you're right. watching something very odd. It's where my dad would check out. They go, that, there's, something not, there's something I don't like about this. This looks like a fairy tale. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something about the mechanics of that scene that really got me. And I remember being so terrified. And there's nothing else in the film that is remotely as scary as that. But it's such a clever way to put something very terrifying up front that just means you spend the rest of the film on edge right. in case something right. else horrible happens. And that was one I think was like a really super... Scary film. Do you love horror films now? I like the mood of horror films. Mm-hmm. And I'm much more a fan of like things like... I like hammer horror. And I right. like that kind of atmospheric horror. I'm quite happy to have violence. But I'm not, I'm not someone that likes just bloody violent horror for the sake of it. No, I don't like horrible ones. Yeah. I like, yeah, I like them spooky. Yeah. <laughs> and moody. I don't like seeing people... I remember seeing... Um, what was that film? The Orphanage. Yeah, great film. And that had that thing where, like you were saying about E.T., I remember watching that and having an experience like, why have I done this? Like <laughs> yeah. halfway through going, I don't have to watch this. And I remember <laughs> yeah. going, I'm a grown man. I can just walk out of here. And then it's almost you're doing this thing, judging how sort of manly you are yeah. about whether it's all right to walk out of a film because you're too scared. <laughs> so if it was a real thing of, I don't know why I'm putting myself through this. Yeah. I don't want to be here. I don't want to see the, the ghost kid again. So I want Stop to... Stop showing me the ghost yeah. kid. <laughs> I want to leave. Yeah. I want to leave. And that was... But then afterwards, it's a real... That's a real experience. So you mm. have this thing where you go, you've just terrified yourself for fun. Well, I'm told that it's genuinely good for you, horror films, in the same way that rollercoasters are good for you. Oh, yeah. Do you know yeah. this? No, but I guess that's... Uh... Because it's like... 
it is a safe way to you for a human to explore their fear of death and so it sort of puts you emotionally in the place of oh my god I'm dying right. but you're not and you survive it because that is you probably are super tense yeah so that you're doing something to your body as well you're probably like yeah <laughs> anyway I'm sure you've got some great answer for this what is the film that is meant to be bad people say that's a bad film critically bad people don't like the film but you're like that is it I love it there's a lot like that. I think, <laughs> I think I like a lot of films that people say about. Yeah. But I like them immediately. I go. I don't know why people don't like that. Yeah. Recently, there's there's and also there's some which I can see why people don't like them or what the problem is built out with them. I think a lot of those movies that come out where they're they're kind of critically slated because they have that thing where they go. We're not even going to show critics of this film. Yeah. Often I see those films and go, well, why not? Because that's all right. Like, that's <laughs> not... But it always... It's just like the kiss of death. It's like, why would you do that? Because it, they're definitely going to slag it off if you... Yeah, it sort of winds them up, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. So they're, they're definitely not going to like it. But often those films are ones that I watch and go, that's all right. That's pretty good. Like Hurricane Heist. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen that one okay. as an example. I really, really liked the Disney Lone Ranger movie from a couple of years ago. Oh, you know what? I think that was critically acclaimed. I think people like that one. Oh, really? Yeah, I think it just didn't make money, but I think the reviews were like, oh, this is a really good film that everyone missed. Okay, because that was one that I think was, uh, no one's watching this. Yeah. And I also like Disney's um, John Carter. I now like you, might be on, you might be on yeah. something. <laughs> you might be on something. Yeah. <laughs> they hated it. I think people don't like John Carter yeah. from us, generally. I liked it a lot. Uh, but again, it's not like it's amazing. It's just mm. this idea that it's not, it's not like bad at all. There's nothing... Yeah. I also quite enjoyed the 90s Avengers film with Ray Fiennes and Uma Thurman. And Sean Connery? Hmm. Yeah, people hated that. Yeah, people but I think that's a film that, that someone watched it and went, this is not working. This is a terrible film. Yeah. And so they've constantly been like chopping bits off of it to the point where it's, it makes less and less sense. But it's got like Sean Ryder in it as a thug. I uh, mean, 80 minutes and it's got Sean Ryder <laughs> in it. I now want to see it. I think the film that's really misunderstood is the Nicolas Cage remake of The Wicker Man. I think it's that a is totally a... misunderstood film. What is your take on it then? Because I know I saw it when it came out. It. Well, I think it's all right to hate it. Yeah, but I think it's I think it isn't what people think it is. So I haven't seen it. My understanding of what the Wicker Man remake was was it was it's sort of like a, a misogynist feminist film where it's an island run by women. Sure, and I think that's the something. reason not to like it. Okay, so it's Neil LeBute. Yes, yeah, his company of men, and and I think he's one of those people who probably is someone you probably could say. I think you probably are a misogynist. Well, I think he's currently on the list. Oh, is he yeah. on the list? So allegedly, so okay, I don't so... know at what point this podcast coming out, but <laughs> you might hear it and be like, "Oh yeah, no, he was." <laughs> yeah. Okay, well that makes sense because yeah. I think he's a, I think he's an interesting, albeit perhaps problematic figure. Yes, but what I don't think he is is an idiot. Okay. And I saw it when it came out. I'm a big fan of The Wicker Man. And I was watching it. And I remember going, oh, that's not what I thought it would be. Because it was funny. And I okay. think there's this idea that they don't know it's funny. Whereas I think... I saw it with my friend Rob. And we both came and go, I had no idea it was a comedy. 
Oh. Whereas I think all that thing of it later where it comes out and there's all the kind of supercuts of it online going, watch this, terrible. F-. They, they don't know this is funny. And it's like, I think he absolutely knows it's funny. I, see. I don't think for a minute Lil, Neil LeBute is not making a comedy. That's interesting. But I think he's trying to do like a sort of, sort of f- very kind of high-end, quite silly satire. Right. And I think his targets are way off and I think he's mad. <laughs> but I think it's... I don't think the film is... I don't think it's unsuccessful in what he tried to do. I don't think it's a film that's so, like, ridiculous that they have no idea they made a ridiculous film. <sighs> you know what I mean? That's a great take. I think it's, it's just like... When you see those things in Nicolas Cage screaming the bees, the bees, or punching a woman who's dressed as a, in a bear costume, if you think about that's who Neil LeBute is, yeah. I think he would see that and go, that is comic. I don't think he would see that and go, yeah, that's a totally reasonable get, thing to put in that. Yeah. Um, so I think he is making a comedy. And, and when I watched it, I totally took it as a comedy. And the original Wicker Man is kind of, it's sort of, when you watch it with an audience, it's a super black comedy. And it's got all this music in. If it was in the Golden Globes, it would be musical it's or comedy. comedy. That's what it is. It's not, it's a very dark comedy. It's like, it's like, it's much funnier than you think it is. And it just seems to tread a line of being, it's so dark that it makes you laugh. It's yes. got something that's so crazy that, that this guy is so out of his depth in this that it makes it is funny, and I think that's what I think that's the tone the remake's going for as well. That it's sort of, but I think he's trying to do it slightly broader. He's doing it like a Jim Carrey comedy. Yeah, but I think but it's definitely a comedy. That is a great hot take. Thank you. That's the sort of shit I've been. That's, what that's, you're why, going I'm, for. that's why I'm having your own theories. Yeah, film theories. I'd like to basically ask you the sort of opposite of that question, which is like. What is a film that you used to love when you were younger and you were like, I love it, love it, love it, and then you've rewatched it recently and gone, fucking hell, no. I think I will like this film again in the future. Okay, but you're having and a... I used to love it. You're having a we're break. Going, we're having a period now <laughs> where I hadn't seen it. It's Ghostbusters. Oh, right. Wow. And I, I know that's a film that people absolutely love. And I thought I loved it. Mm. But it was such... I had a long, long time between seeing it, which is probably not a good indicator anyway. But I hadn't seen it for years and years, probably like 10 years or something. And I watched it a couple of years ago, and I was really up for it. And when I watched it, I just found myself going, this is an odd film. This is really poorly put together. (laughs) It's like not... It's like it's a real mess. And it kind of works, but it's like... It's like an inch away from being awful. Yeah. But it's like, I think it does tread the line. I think it's managed to be like, yeah, it works. But it's so nearly terrible. And there's lots of good stuff in it. But I think it's a film that they've edited together and they've made a film that holds together. But it feels like if you blew on it, it would fall apart. Which, dare I say, is what I would say about the remake. Okay. Which I think is wildly underrated. Have you seen the remake? Yeah, yeah. I don't think the new Ghostbusters is bad at all. I don't think it's very good. Yeah. But I don't think it's bad. I think it looks like, to me, that film looked like a much longer film 
that got that had to be cut down and there's something wrong with the pacing yeah. with how they cut it down because everyone involved in that film is funny yeah. and there's something slightly off about the comedy like it feels like it's like a beat behind or a yeah. beat ahead yeah. of itself and it doesn't quite work but it's not bad no and sort of there are some good set pieces I think actually there's very good CGI in it and yeah. but there's a couple of like logic things like what do, what threat do these guys have they just seem to just be there don't see what the problem is yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just walk through them don't worry about it I think I think Ghostbusters is probably quite a similar yeah. film as well I think there's something um, and that, that is there's lots of problems with the remake but it's one of those it's not popular to, <laughs> to talk about no but it's that kind of that, that has re- that so it is very similar actually. It has really odd scenes that seem to appear out of nowhere. Yeah. Like Bill Murray showing up in the the new one. It's he has this bizarre strange. comedy, like the bizarre sort of performance, and then he goes out a window at one point. And it looks like there seems to be like shots missing and things yeah. as well. It's got that sort of thing where it's like it feels like you haven't even shot that bit. So I think that is it. I think that's probably how Paul Feig. Maybe that's how he cr- makes films. But you think something like Bridesmaids. Is brilliant, but again, it's like loads of like little, just tiny bits, isn't it? It's like a film made up of bits, and I guess it's that assemblage that makes it work or not work. Yeah, Um, but there is there's loads of good stuff in it in both Ghostbusters and the new Ghostbusters. I think there's a lot of those '80s comedies are like that. Well, I I have a a controversial view, which is most of those '80s comedies type films that everyone thinks they love are hugely dated, not just sort of politically or whatever. Yeah. But in terms of, they're so slow. They're so fucking yeah. slow. Like, Gremlins takes fucking ages <laughs> before a Gremlin appears. And it's called Gremlins. We're going, yeah, yeah. get to the Gremlin. It's like You probably have an hour, minutes, don't you? Yeah, yeah. More. And Trading Places, which is the ultimate crime. I have talked on this on another podcast. Oh, really? Trading Places is called Trading Places. For the first hour, ten minutes, it's two people going, we should get them to trade places and I go I know what the plot is I've read the title get on with it and then they finally trade places and then there's some story about beans <laughs> I don't know I've seen trading places recently and I, I'm still on board with trading places really get still on with it. it trade places no, I suppose that's it but again maybe that's it you maybe you kind of bought buy into it immediately so if you just like them yeah it kind of doesn't matter what happens yeah. And I think that's sort of true of Ghostbusters. I think there's that. I think what I hadn't realised is something that lots of people who've been watching it consistently for years always got. That when you've got Ernie Hudson's character, he really has no... He really is brought in, like, Very over late. an hour into yeah. it. And isn't given any lines. It's mm. really like he's so underwritten. But I think that thing, when you're a kid, I think you make him, in your head, he's totally one of the... Yeah. He's totally one of the four. But it doesn't. It seems almost like tokenistic to bring him in. It just feels like you've not even written him properly. Why can't he be in it at the start? Yeah. Why can't he just be like one of you guys? Like... Why can't he be a scientist? Why can't we all just get along, Ghostbusters? <laughs> and there's that weird bit. There's that montage which has like that totally bizarre like blowjob scene with Dan Aykroyd gets sucked off by a ghost. <laughs> oh yeah, and it's just you watching. You go, this is weird. <laughs> That is also true. Yeah, most of those sort of family comedies yeah. in the 80s had a lot more sex yes, in them. Yes, they did, yeah. Than you get nowadays. You still get weird, lots of sort of poorly judged jokes, I think, on that kind of thing, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, you get sucked off by a ghost. Yeah. 
What well, happens? Ectoplasm. Well, that's it. I don't think it's. I mean, there's more to that, but I guess I can't do the joke. Right. Like, what's the what is the end result of this? Yeah. Like, what what? That's what Slimer yeah. was. Because <laughs> also, what was Slimer? We don't know. Yeah. yeah. But that's it. The ghosts aren't really ghosts in Ghostbusters, are they? No. They're it doesn't feel monsters. like they were once existing people. Yeah. It's like, well, what's that? Well, how did Slimer die that he yeah. looks like that? <laughs> Maybe he's from your nuclear holocaust. Maybe yep. you'll look like Slimer on the other side. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. So, great answer. Bold. Okay. Brave. God, you're going to get a lot of tweets. Makes <laughs> uh, a change. <laughs> <laughs> and mostly from me going, what did you think of all these films you've watched this year? <laughs> uh, okay, so what is the film? If you could have one film where you go, the memory of seeing that film means a lot to me. Not necessarily the film might be pretty average, but the experience of seeing it, whether it was like a first date with someone you love or something funny happened that day or something where that film, you'll always remember it because of what happened with it. Hmm. There's two that I think of. The first one is the 1989 Batman, the Tim Burton Batman film. Hmm. And I think that was because I was so excited about seeing it. And there was also this other thing that was going on in the background that before it was coming out, there was this sort of rumour going around and going, you know, it's a 15, which made it so much more illicit, but also terrifying that I might not be able to see it. And so there was this whole drama about it before it came out. It's like, not only is it the film you want to see so much, and not only, it might be a 15, which makes it even more dark and horrible. So that makes it even more, it must be better. It might have E.T. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, E.T. will pop up for a bit and scare you. It's going to be a good... <laughs> Batman they could just cut that E.T. bit in. <laughs> just for a second. Um, and Batman. <laughs> yeah, there was something... So even that, which would suggest that it's going to be even better if it's a 15. But if it was, it would mean I couldn't see it. Mm. And that drama, I remember having this big build-up for it about like, oh, God, I've got to see it. I've got to see it. And then when they made it a 12, and it was like... They invented a 12 yeah, certificate. And I was 10. And also having that thing, I remember going to see it, but having to be like... And then I had that thing of at 10, having to pretend I was 12. What so there was did a you real do? What was exciting... your 12-year-old tweet? Who did you go with? I, was, I went with my dad, and I think it was just... Uh, God, he'd have hated that film. Like, just... <laughs> <laughs> I think he did hate it. I think he did hate it. And I think what just... is he wearing? <laughs> What's this clown in it? What's his, what's his problem? Um, <laughs> and I was probably... But I just remember the kind of stress of it, like getting... Mm. I've got to get in. I've got to see it. And I think even when I was there, having that... Someone's going to say during the film, excuse me, you're yeah. 10. <laughs> and you just, just wandered around the auditorium. Yeah. There's a 10-year-old in it. Stop the film. Stand up. But it feels like you're on the lam. It's yeah. like it's like Bonnie and Clyde or something going to see a film. And because they invented it, that that kind of experience got to happen when you were much younger. This kind of I'm going to see something at the cinema. And I'm not allowed to see it, <laughs> but I'm seeing it. Yeah. And I think I was that was very exciting. And the other one I can think of is a film that I totally I still love it, and it was. Desperado, the Antonio Banderas movie. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful Sammy Hayek. Yeah. I saw, my brother had been to Los Angeles and he was staying with people there and because it's a very filmy town, it'd, see, it'd seen everything that was coming out. 
and he'd said, oh, you've got to see this film, Desperado, you'd love it. And I was like, I was really excited for it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll see that. And then they had it at the London Film Festival. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll go and see this Desperado film. So I went to see it with my brother. And it's one of those things that I've never seen. It should be 95, I think, 96, something like that. And I've never seen an audience react to a film better before or since. Really? And it was just, there's something about it that everyone was obviously so up for it. And I don't think that's ever been replicated on when you watch it on TV. But there was something, it was so exciting. The, the action in it was like something I'd never seen before. And it was sort of ridiculous and cartoonish. But it totally works. And, yeah. and there was loads of like applause breaks during the film. And at one point, a guy in front of me who we didn't know turned around to us just to sort of go, wow, this film. <laughs> it was like that. It was like everyone was just so on board with it. That, and it cool. ended with this, like, and it sort of happened a lot since. There was that, it just got that huge kind of round of applause at the end, like, this is amazing. And I, I think of that all the time. It's like, I've never seen something before or since where it's like everyone in the auditorium was so, like, it was just, they were so up for it. And with- it was like they were seeing something mind-blowing. Wow. Was there, was any of them there, any of the cast or crew? No, no, it was just like oh. a screening. It was just, there was no, that's it. It wasn't like everyone was clapping and yeah, being yeah. a bit like, this is what you want, being polite. It was just It was you. just completely, and I remember them doing a thing afterwards where it was like whatever the audience award was mm. at the London Film Festival. And I remember it going to something that was very worthy and very good. And I was going, there's absolutely <laughs> no way that that audience reacted to that film like the audience that were watching Desperado. There is no way that Schindler's List is better than Desperado. <laughs> no way, audience. Oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. Here we go. You ready for this? Yeah. Oh, God, here we go. What is the film you think is the sexiest? Oh, that's hard, I think. Desperado. Oh. 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 <laughs> I feel like... I sort of think of it as like, what would I have seen when I was a bit too young that would have been like, oh, mm. my God... And there's things like, I guess, there's odd bits of nudity in films. Like, there's one, I think, in the first, like, five minutes of Police Academy. Yeah. There's just, like, a flash of nudity. Yeah. It's like, and I guess those are all imprinted. You just have this, like, kind of, like, Polaroid your brain takes <laughs> yeah. while you're watching a film. Like, and uh, um, Trading Places. Trading Places has the best. Yeah, that's, uh, and it's... Uh, the best gratuitous nudity yeah, of all time. Yeah, it really is gratuitous as well. And it's, it's quite... It's, Genuinely magical. Yeah, it is. I, it, it does sound ridiculous and childish, but it is like, yeah. oh, wow. That was yeah. and kind of out of nowhere. And I guess that's another thing where a lot of those comedies would have like just an odd bit of nudity and you'd be like, I wasn't, I wasn't even here for yeah. this. We didn't need it, but now I will buy this yeah. film on VHS. <laughs> but often in kind of teenage shit ones, there'd always be someone where you'd see a girl in a white bra and you'd have... Then a shot of her shoulder, head and shoulder shot, mm. where you'd see her remove a bra, and then it would cut to the back of that yeah. that girl, and then maybe you might get a, a teeny sort of half view of of like a an half edge, side. an edge of breast or something. You could kind of, but that was there's one in Teen Wolf, I think, like that, 
Yeah. I think there was one in Teamwolf. Well, Weird Science has that ultimate. Yes, yeah, 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 of not course. Not naked. Yeah. Lots of naked, but never naked. Yes. I feel like this feels too childish, and I'd like to say <laughs> sexy is something else. That's not what sexy Soit is. Color bleu. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I found sexy. <laughs> but that's what I think. I tell you what, I did see, not a film mm. in in about nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety. I watched uh, BBC's Pennies from Heaven. Okay. You ever seen that with Dennis Potter? Dennis Potter. And I watched it because I was a big fan of Bob Hoskins because I'd watched Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> so when it's like, oh, there's a thing on telly with Bob Hoskins in, I was like. Well, I love Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Can't totally on board. Yeah, totally bored with this. And that has what would be kind of unusual or complicated sex in it. And my brain was absolutely not ready for it. And this kind of, there was one where... What, what, what was unusual and complicated about it? I've well, there was a bit where you. he's... There's this thing where he wants to have sex with his wife in it, but she's just not really into it. And sort of treats him like he's kind of a pervert for wanting sex. Okay. And there's another bit later on where she's trying to attract him. And one of his fantasies is that she would put lipstick on her nipples. So she'd be, so it's all that kind of stuff. And you're watching and you go, I don't really know why she's done that. But it's also <laughs> making me feel funny. <laughs> and it's sort of complicated sort of interpersonal dynamics mm. that going on between this couple and she kind of hates him but they're kind of he wants to have sex but she doesn't and he's sort of made to feel lesser for wanting sex and like a pervert and he and then she uses it to attract him and, and it's all this kind of weird and sort were, of sexual you, dynamic you like thing. and I was like nine going I don't really know what's going on <laughs> And, but you sort of know what's going on. And that's yeah. it. There's this weird sort of trying to marry up this understanding of what it is. But I wouldn't even call that sexy. I'd call it almost the reverse of that. This kind of troubling, like, a troubling, oh, I think this is going to be a troubling thing. Troubling boner. Yeah, troubling. This, this will haunt me. Yeah. This, this boner is troubling and will stay with me for, yeah. for years. Yeah. You know, it's no who frame Roger Rabbit. <laughs> it's got... And then every girl is going, why do I have to put lipstick on, on them? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wanted to have a nice time. <laughs> but that's the whole thing of the film. It just feels like, no, in Betty's Raven, it's not like you even get the impression that either of them are having a nice time. <laughs> it's just like, what's, what's going on? And it would be an incredibly, like, like too many questions. Right. That but is. I wouldn't say that was sexy. It was the opposite of that. It was troubling. Okay, what... This question... What, what do you, what's the film you most relate to? Whether it be a character or the film, you go, that film is me. Ooh. I used to have it a lot. I tell you what, when I was a kid, I watched Back to the Future at 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And I really felt like I totally related to it. I know exactly where everyone was. Mm. And I think I was like, yeah, that's me. I'm Marty McFly. You're Marty McFly. I love that. And then I went, when I got to the age he is in it, I go, I'm not him. I can't skateboard. He's, yeah. <laughs> and he's kind of like, he's sort of quite a cool guy for a film like mm. that. He's quite, in those sort of high school things, he's sort of at odds with a lot of them, isn't he? Because he's actually sort of the cool one. And actually, when I, was, when I got to the age his character would be, you go, no, 
I'm George McFly. I'm much more like, that's me. But it's almost like there was a familial resemblance. That's what I got from it. Oh, and I think he's me, but he's more like, he's my son in the future. I'm a McFly. Yeah, for yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> that is not the one I thought I was when I was six or seven. One I remember having when I, when I was about 14 as well. Uh, and I saw four weddings and a funeral. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I haven't seen it in years. I should watch it again now I've thought of this. I remember watching it and I really liked it as a film. I've got sort of issues with a lot of the Curtis stuff that's come since. But I remember really loving Four Weddings and a Funeral. But I also watched it at 14 or 15 Hmm. thinking, like, you Grant, I was going, just like me. (laughs) And I now think, what was that? (laughs) Like, what was it about... The, the sort of super posh you Grant <laughs> saying fuck at the start, saying fuck a lot, and then yeah. um, going out with Andy McDowell. That I was like, well, <laughs> this is like my life on screen. A 14 year old from Bethnal. I don't know, but I was like that. I was totally. I remember going, oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So relatable. <laughs> so relatable to this. And I don't know what it was about it. I think there was sort of. He did have that sort of clumsy bumbling thing. Maybe it was that that you can go, oh, I could see me being yeah, a bit kind awkward. of tongue-tied or a bit awkward. But I, I quite like to watch it again to see if I have. I'm probably about that character's age now. Yeah. As well. It's a fucking good film for Wednesday, if you know. Good. I good. I remember I, it. It's a really, really good film. Yeah. Except for why he, why he likes her is a curiosity. But other than that, <laughs> it's really good. Um, what film do you think is the greatest film, objectively? Yeah. So it's not necessarily your favourite. It's the aliens come. They say, what is the highest achievement of film? Yeah, I found it tricky because I know what my favourite film is. And I think it's brilliant. And I think it's unfaultable, which is It's a Wonderful Life. I think it's right. perfect. Okay. But I was trying to think of it. And I think you can be too snooty about it when mm. you think about it. You go, actually, well, that's just it then. Right. You can be like, that's fine. That's the, that's the answer. Yeah. Because it is a, like, why you like it, the reason you like it so much is also like a tremendous feat of filmmaking, right? Yeah. Still, what they've done is incredible. Other films don't make you feel like that. So that's still a massive achievement. All the things you're meant to feel in that film is what he tended to make you feel in that film. So it totally works on every level. That's So that, I could still say that. And it was interesting that when you put that in your email, the example you gave, don't look now, I was like, yeah, I think that might be it. I think that might actually be it, though. Because I think it's sort of, I think that's perfect plus. Yeah. I think it's kind of, and it makes you, it, that's a film that if you ever go, oh, I'd like to make a film, I'd go, in a bad way, I'd, that's the kind of thing that would stop me. Because I'd go, well, I can't make well, that I couldn't make Don't Look Now. Because it's so incredibly kind of clever, but beautiful. And it's sort of filmed in a way that you would go, it doesn't look like this film could edit together. And yet it feels so perfectly, nothing's out of place. Or I'm glad you love Don't Look Now. Don't Look Now is the greatest yeah I think it's it so possibly good. is and there's so much that's a good that's a good sexy one yeah and it feels totally authentic and it really totally is a, like, it is a very moving sexy yeah like it's a it's a real I think Daniel now has a thing of 
when people talk about nudity in films and troubling and, and blah 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 and I always think I often think nudity is unnecessary because I think we watch it and just as humans we're taken out of it we go mm. oh look there's some yeah. breasts or that's what his dick looks like you know what yeah. I mean whereas Don't Look Now is one of the only examples where that looks like a married couple standing in a bathroom yeah I totally believe that they would be naked I believe yeah. that they are married and yeah. then when they make love it's they're making love for a reason yeah and it matters and it's about something that's so beautiful God, and it's, it's a this weird film. bit where he seems like he's sort of watching her in a mirror yeah and there's like weird bits where it's like he's got that thing where he's like it's and it's that sort of clicking into that he finds her sexy at that point there's yeah. that kind of there's almost like a a micro emotion or something you can yeah. see it where he's like on that they're reconnecting oh yeah this is oh god and it's but I do think it's also super like as a screenplay it's super smart yeah. everything about it is kind of perfect and it's sort of edited in all those kind of Nicholas Rogue films from performance to Don't Look Now mm. Man Who Felt All Earth and is there another one Walkabout, Walkabout. another Jenny Agate one so they're all like him making those films at that time does feel like he's operating on a diff, slightly different yeah. level. And it's not mechanical in that way that sometimes you watch like an Alfred Hitchcock film and you go, mm. my God, that's amazing. Because he knows, like they often feel like perfect bits of filmmaking. Yeah. Because they're so yeah. mechanical. And, Vertigo's made up. Yeah. And it's and it, like that. You would have yeah. like, that's perfect. It's so, you can't fault any of it. It's almost like every shot is like, constructed and everything is adds up to this film that's like stuck together you've got like a little perfect bubble of film yeah but nicholas rogue's films feel much more like scattershot and yet he achieves the same thing there's a sort of weird magic to it which is a bit it doesn't feel like anything's like constructed or he goes in in the morning and knows all his shots it feels like he's just sort of they, they almost feel like sort of guerrilla film made but but they but they work like Hitchcock films do. And I think they were all planned. I don't think yeah, it's sure. random. It just feels real, doesn't it? It yeah. feels alive. And... But they feel like so different from like a Hitchcock film. And yet like things like, that's Daphne du Maurier, isn't it? Don't yeah. it now. And so are like... And, the birds. Yeah, and all that. So it feels like they're even coming from a similar source material, but they're, the way they've made this film together is just like, it's, it's so it might, it might be Don't Look Now. Well, that is the correct answer, so... <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you, get to, you get to go home. See. <laughs> uh, what's the film that you could watch the most over and over and over again, or have watched the most over and over again? Definitely, I reckon it's probably It's a Wonderful Life, okay. because I watch it every Christmas, without fail. Mm-hmm. Another one might be Kez. What? I think I could watch again and again and again. Oh, let me direct the listeners to, uh, there is a comedian called Richard Sanding. Oh, yeah, He yeah, has yeah. a gig called Perfect Movie where comedians go and recreate the perfect movie. Sometimes we film them as clips. And uh, Nathaniel Metcalf has a clip of him performing Kez online. It's amazing. Yeah. It made me like Kez more than I do. Oh, really? I get annoyed at how often things made it for kids increasingly have the opposite. There's this sort of very super positive and this idea that nothing bad can happen. And I love watching films. I think films. that's a balance, though. I think <laughs> it's so depressing. I think it, it is depressing, but I think it's got like a, a sort of joy to it. I also think Kez is a film that, again, 
has lots of it. And I think Ken Loach is quite good at this, that he he is making films often that are really bleak and really depressing, but there's a sort of sense of humour that runs yeah, through funny. it. And it's got loads of it, really funny stuff in it. And because it's filmed in that way, it almost has that thing where it feels like, bits of it feel like Spinal Tap before Spinal Tap. <laughs> it's just like, this is so funny. And it's just so kind of, everyday conversational kind of documentary style it's like it is it's like watching the office or something it's got a similar kind of what you're laughing at is awkwardness Mm. and and i mean it is sad but you know straight away that his life isn't gonna like it's not willy wonka he's not not gonna gonna become billy elliot yeah he's not there's not gonna be a thing in it which is gonna take him away from this but this there's world. a brief bit with a bird. But that's all it is. So that's what he gets, is that. And that's what it isn't. The, the, sort of, the reward is that. You know it's. You know there's not going to be, like, there's no deus ex machina that's going to take him out of this. Mm. But there kind of is, because he gets this sort of little oasis of... Yeah, the couple of days with a bird. <laughs> yeah, the couple of days hang out with a bird. And he should be happy for it. <laughs> you watch it go fucking ungrateful little shit cried at the end you had a couple of days with a bird now get back to your miserable life quick two what's the worst film of all time oh here's one again it's another grim film but I I used to hate it and again I've sort of come round to it I, I think I'm pretty good at finding knowing when I don't want to see a film okay so I have never seen Moulin Rouge right but I did see the trailer for Moulin Rouge and I said, never in my life. Really? I went, there was something about Jim Broadbent singing Smells Like Teen Spirit, dressed as, dressed as like a circus. But I was, like, I was like, absolutely not. And you've never seen it? No. It's fucking great. Is it great? It's great. Is it great? Listen, that's a film. It's, it's the best Baz Luhrmann film. It's like the, the ultimate, of all the things he does. Yeah. Cranked up to 100. I, get, one I think there's a, a sort of Baz Like, I remember really liking Romeo plus Juliet. <laughs> and I really like that. Um, but that was almost like, that's it. That like, almost you end. can see it. And it's like he's gone, more of this? And you go, yeah. no, thank you. <laughs> and he's gone, how about 100 times more of that? I think the only Baz Luhrmann film I think I've seen since, which was also appalling... Was it Australia? Australia, yeah. Poor Interesting film. <laughs> it is interesting. That's well. That's the only film he's made that isn't like got curtains in it and yeah, yeah, and singing and dancing. And yeah, it's odd. So that that's what I haven't seen it, but that's something I go. Oh, that's terrible. The one I think of like for years, I thought Rita Sue and Bob Two yeah. was the worst film <laughs> in the world, and now I think I've just done an about turn and gone. I think it's just I just didn't get it. Yeah, I just found it kind of offensive and almost that I know they've done a production recently and it was mm. very controversial but I think that's exactly it that when I was like growing up I'd see that and go this is horrible that this who's this man this is appalling <laughs> and I, but now I think it's like oh I kind of get it now I, get, right. I, I think I and that was something that like on telly would be a film that I'd be like this is so bleak and so kind of like, it's that, to me, it was The Graduate has Simon and Garfunkel do a soundtrack and Rita Sue and Bob 2 as a soundtrack by Black Lace. 
And I thought that summed it up. Like, that's how depressing the film is. The, the Black Lace have done the, every song in Rita Sue and Bob 2. And that's, you've got The Graduate and you've got Rita Sue and Bob 2. Mm. And that was my, but now I think, now I think I've kind of come round to it in a kind of, I think it might be brilliant. Right. I think it's probably brilliant. I think it probably is. I've not seen it in years. Yeah, me too. I think the, the next time place. I see it, I'll be... You'll be like, the film I most relate to. Yeah. I'm Bob in Rita Sue. I'm Sue. I'm Bob too. <laughs> <laughs> What's the funniest film? It's probably something like The Jerk, I reckon. Yeah. yeah. I reckon that's probably it. Yeah. Equally, there's that bit in... That Steve Martin bit doing the song in Little Shop of Horrors... I, when I I got that on VHS, and it's not a film like I certainly liked it at the time. It's not a film I've revisited any time recently, mm-hmm. and I always thought ah, it's all right. But there was that bit when Steve Martin comes on and does that song as a dentist. I saw that and I cried laughing <laughs> at it, and then I rewound it and I watched it again, and I cried laughing at it, and I did this repeatedly. And and then it would be like every time I watch it and that bit happened, I'd get this kind of weird <laughs> elation, like, oh god, it's coming on. And I it, so for years that was like the funniest thing I'd ever seen. Right. And there's something about everything about it that he's this sort of super cool guy, but it's Steve Martin, he's sort of not even it was like so perfectly judged and so like every little micro thing he did in his face was funny so I wouldn't just be I'd like be laughing at everything about it and I think like condensed to like three or four minutes that's probably the funniest three or four minutes of your life yeah (laughs) great okay well you said your favourite it's it's Wonderful Life is your favourite film Nathaniel you've been excellent Uh, the thing is I've got news which is that when you died from the nuclear holocaust Mm. although you died of starvation your body distended weirdly from the (laughs) noxious few typical and uh, your body was so big that when we went to put it in the coffin there was only room for one of the films that we've talked about so you can only take one of the films we've talked about to the other side and in heaven there is movie night you you put your movie on when it's your night what are you taking with I would say it's a wonderful life. Okay. I think that's definitely my... God, that seems ironic. <laughs> yeah. That's why that's what it'd be, a little private joke. I'm in heaven going, fucking hell, mate. Rub it in. <laughs> well, I'm going to... Yeah, I'll allow it. Good. You can go to heaven with a, It's a Wonderful Life. I hope like, no one else has got it. That'd be a waste, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'm sure someone's brought <laughs> well, everyone's it. Got, everyone's yeah. got the same film. You should take Rita Sue and Bob too. <laughs> I don't think anyone's taking that. And then you might be like, this is good. Well, you watch it and go, it's, I still hate it. <laughs> I hope someone's brought Moulin Rouge, so you have to watch it. Yeah, yeah. As someone who likes, like, the Muppets, I think you like Moulin Rouge. Okay. It's, it's, it's a Muppety kind of film. It's a let's put on the show film. Yeah. There's something, I don't know, there's something about the tone of it, or what I perceive to be the tone yeah. of it, that is also kind of like, there's something, is there something quite smug about it as well, or quite... I mean, I, I guess that's it. Yeah, I think I, I, I often get turned off by almost over... Yeah, maybe I don't it is think like it's this. smug. I think what it is, and maybe what you're scared of, and why I think I had to watch it twice, is that it's not ashamed of itself. It's yes, not embarrassed. Exactly. I it's think that's going it. full tilt, and it's not apologising, mm. and it's I, not going, 
I know this is a bit weird, but I'm really going to go for this. It's like full on. Yeah, maybe that's all right. That's probably all right. I think I'm someone who is ashamed of themselves. Yeah. So when I see someone that isn't, I go, no, not for me. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. My pleasure. And doing the show. You were excellent. Good. Uh, I hope so, yeah. So that was episode 12. Thank you to Nathaniel Metcalf. Thank you to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to ACAS for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Lydon for the artwork. Go to iTunes or ACAS, subscribe, leave a five-star review, tell your friends, do all the admin you have to do in the modern world to enjoy anything, and it would really help the show. Come back next week for more films to be buried with with the amazing Mr. Jack Whitehall. But in the meantime, have a lovely week, and please remember... Be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.